Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm your host, Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have a chance to spend a little time with me in your busy afternoon. We're in the thick of tax season, so I've been having some very busy, interesting days. I'm going to give you some real good entertaining information today. Remember, what I tell you is financial advice. It's I'm sorry, it's not financial advice. It's for entertainment. And if you need anything in specifically, you need to talk with me or another tax professional about taxes. As, as far as investments, I talk about investments on Business Buzz, but I'm not a financial planner, and it's just for entertainment purposes. You need to look at your own individual situation, talk to a professional of your choice. I'm one of the many in Chico I've been doing it for a while, but there's lots of good tax professionals and lots of good investment help. I try to be your devil's advocate sometimes, sort of the giving you a different opinion on things than you'll probably hear from most people. That's my main, my main concern. I think one of the things just in general, and I'm going to be talking a little bit later about money and what it's what it's really what's it really all about numbers these days are getting so big and i think the reason for that is that the only way out of these mathematical problems that occur with things like oh bailouts and budgets and pensions and government not having enough resources. The real problem is that for the last 30 or 40 years, it's pretty much all been dealt with just by expanding the money supply. Now, the catch to that is that normally if you were to expand the money supply, inflation would pick up and people would realize that their money is losing value. And that's really sort of, that's really the bottom line to my advice for you your money is losing value, and even if you're earning two, I noticed there's some CDs being offered for like 2.5% interest, which compared to the last few years is like good interest rate. The problem is if your money in the bank is earning you 2.5%, but inflation is 5%, then your real rate of return is negative 2.5%. That's how the math works. Because even though you're earning 25 Every dollar you have is losing five at the same time, so you're actually falling behind. That's really the basis of our entire problem as I see it. I say not financial advice because everybody has their own situation. You may have enough money in the bank to where it doesn't even matter if the purchasing power goes down, but if you don't, there could come a time where the amount that you have could actually run out. It could actually be not enough. And that would be if the money supply continues to increase, and I see no reason why it won't, things are just going to be more expensive in terms of dollars. And it's just going to be harder to get by on, if you, especially like with a fixed income. If you can imagine, like, let's just say right now your social security income is 20000 a year. Think about what it would, would have been like 40 years ago to have 20000 a year. That would have been a real significant income. But these days, 20000 a year, I can equate it to if the average rent in Chico, which has gone up a lot lately since the fire, is, from what I'm hearing, it's fifteen, sixteen hundred a month, then there's your 20000 for the year just in rent. That's the type of problem that uh, we're seeing, and that's the type of problem I want to warn you against. There's just too much money flying around and not enough protection for it. And it's just dangerous to let your money sit when the value of each dollar keeps going down and down. I wanted to start off the first segment today just talking about the tax season that's underway. There's a lot of fire victims. The main tax law that the fire victims are dealing with is called. Section 1033, Involuntary Conversion. A business property 
that burns and then you get an insurance reimbursement, you probably, I mean, it's likely that that is going to result in a gain. And the way this Section 1033 works, you treat the proceeds of the insurance as if it's a sale and whatever gain you have could theoretically be taxable. This Section 1033 comes into play as a way for you to tell the IRS, yes, I received, and I'm just throwing out some numbers here, yes, I received $300,000 for my burned rental building. My basis in that rental building is $100,000, and I can't include my land value because I still own my land. So it's like a sale of the building for three hundred, and your basis is one hundred. That's a potential gain for tax purposes of two hundred thousand dollars. Section ten thirty three allows you to say, "But I'm going to replace the three hundred thousand dollars into a new rental property within a certain time frame," and the earliest time frame allowed on this is two years. With a federally declared disaster area, it's at least three, and I believe it's the uh, principal residences are four. There's a lot of different years. I don't want to quote them here. Uh, it's something I look up to make sure I've got the right time frame every time I talk with another client about this. The main thing is is that you have a good, solid period of time to do the replacement so that you don't have to pay the tax on a possible gain that you have from the insurance proceeds. That's the general idea of Section 1033. The replacement property has to be very similar in nature to the property you lost. That is sort of the catch. That's the one that's a little tricky. If you have this situation for yourself, you probably would want to consult a tax professional for your 2018 taxes. Sometimes, some years you may not need a tax professional, but a year where you have a potential gain on a involuntary conversion of a business property, that would definitely be the year you would want to get some help. I wouldn't want to do that one alone. I've been doing taxes now for almost 40 years professionally, and there's still new twists every day that I'm talking to a new involuntary conversion fire victim. There's a new twist almost every day to somebody's situation. It's a very complicated area. This is not tax or financial advice over the radio. It's just recommending that you consult a tax professional so that you don't get stuck with a gain that you shouldn't have had or didn't need to pay on. If you get educated with what the replacement period would be, you've got plenty of time to buy a new rental property and not pay tax on the gain from this, what's called an involuntary conversion. Other types of involuntary conversions other than fires would be, well, one of the big ones in the old days that I've seen a few of is when a city acquires like for a freeway on-ramp. I can't remember the name of the word I'm looking for right now. I'll think of it as we go. But uh, eminent domain, the city buys your property even though you don't want to sell it. That's another example of an involuntary conversion. And that also can lead to a gain, but it also allows for a replacement period that's very fair to give you time to replace that property. But the fire is the one that's happening here in Butte County on a huge scale this year, and I wanted to share that with you. There's just so many stories about these fires. The bottom line is that, and I talked about this when I had Michael Lambert's the farmer's insurance man on the radio back in December. I think it might have been November, right after the fire. Turns out that different insurance companies are treating their customers differently. I've heard that some companies have done real well with issuing checks without a lot of questions or work, and some are not so good. That's another thing to think about. The flip side of that problem is that some of the companies I've heard, and I won't mention any names, that were good with payouts are not planning on writing any more insurance policies in the Paradise Megalia area. That's the flip side of the fact that they're paying out all this money. Now, 
new homeowners up there or people whose homes didn't get affected too drastically may have a problem renewing their insurance when the new year comes up for the insurance policy. That's going to turn out to be some sort of problem. I'm not sure what the answer to that's going to be. We'll find out as time goes by. I have noticed an uptick lately in the number of people that are planning on or starting already to rebuild in the same location where their house burned. There's also an uptick in the number of people who have been talking about buying a place up there. So maybe the reconstruction will happen faster than people think. I, I really don't know, but I think it's very interesting and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I know that a lot of businesses in paradise have been lost and that is going to be part of the whole, there's intangible losses that you have when your business can no longer do business. And that's where the PG and E lawsuits I think are going to come into play, but that's a whole nother area. I'm not an attorney. I don't play one on television. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. So I won't even speculate, but I do think that if, you've lost business and if you've lost intangibles due to the campfire, I would imagine you would want to at least sign up for a potential potential to get some sort of compensation down the road. That's up to you. Another issue is people who have had the fire of their homes have lost a lot of records. One of the solutions I'm suggesting for my clients that have to get their things together is, number one, as long as you have online banking or you can get bank statements, then any income in the bank, any debits in your bank statements, any credit card statements that you can get copies of, that's going to have records. The normal situation for the IRS, if they were to audit someone's expenses, are they want to see the actual receipt and the proof that you paid it, which would usually mean a credit card or debit card statement for the proof that you paid it, but also the actual receipt. The situation here now is that the actual receipt is probably not going to be available for lots of people's business expenses if they had a fire consume their records. In my opinion, I can't speak for the IRS, I wouldn't want to, In my opinion, they're not going to require receipts from a fire victim, but they're still going to want you to at least have a record of the payment that you made that you're claiming. That's just my opinion. I can't see them forcing you to do anything more. That would not look good for PR and public policy to have fire victims being told they can't deduct things because their records got burned up. That's just a speculation. I'm sure they've already figured this out at the IRS. I can't imagine a fire victim getting audited, but, I mean, if it happens, there's going to be limited amounts of records that are going to be available, and that's just sort of the sort of a fact of life. In that respect, it's shaping up as a very interesting tax season. On top of the fact that we have a whole new tax law for 2018 that has lots of interesting new twists, The fire situation is making it that much more complicated this year. There's, Like I say, there's a new twist coming every day on somebody's fire situation that I haven't heard before. It's pretty amazing how strange it is. But everyone will get through it. The insurance money has made people feel a lot better. Even though it hurts to lose the possessions, at least the compensation allows you to replace things when they've paid a good amount back. That would be the one upside to the whole fire thing with losses. I'm going to talk a little bit about the new tax law after the first break. There's some real interesting things happening. If you happen to have dividend income, you may be in for a special special bonus surprise this year. Not sure, but I've seen a few already here during tax season with some clients' paperwork. It's kind of interesting because the entire tax law revamp, the general thrust of the whole thing was just to bring down total tax rates and to bring down total taxes. 
there's a new little box on a dividend form that actually lets you share in that additional tax cut that businesses get and the corporation's got a tax rate reduction. I'll get into that new tax deduction for dividends after the break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. Here's Rick Box, founder of Unconventional Business Network, with today's Integrity Moment. Deborah Grayson Regal writes in a Harvard Business Review article how to correct leadership mistakes in a healthy manner. Regal encourages us to have a conversation with ourselves, then with the other parties involved, addressing three parts. The first part is to take responsibility. Years ago, I took an emotional intelligence assessment. One of the painful findings was that I tended to avoid accepting responsibility for my mistakes. I often blamed others. I've worked hard to address this flaw. When wrong, Regal recommends that you purposely state, I was wrong, to yourself and to others. Leviticus 5.5 says, when anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess in what way they have sinned. If you make a mistake, take responsibility, then move forward. To learn more about Unconventional Business Network and doing business God's way, visit unconventionalbusiness.org. That's unconventionalbusiness.org. KKXX is excited to present Seeds of Truth with Joe Holcraft. Each weekday evening, Joe has hosted the Catholic Hour every weekend for the last eight years. And Seeds of Truth promises the same Catholic understanding of sacred scripture, contemporary faith-based topics, and the latest news from around the world. If you have questions about faith, join Joe and the Seeds of Truth right here on KKXX each evening, Monday through Friday. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, coming to you in the middle of income tax season, which has been very interesting. I just wanted to share a little bit more about the new tax law. The corporate rates got a lot of headlines, and they went down for the higher-end corporation tax rates that used to be up to about 30, I believe it was something like 36%. It even shot up for part of it to like 39, then back down to 35 or 36. The new corporate tax rate is 21% flat rate. That's good news and bad news. It's good news for the corporations that make a lot of net income because their rate is now at 21% flat. The bad news is I have quite a few smaller corporate clients. And in the old tax law, before you reach the 25, 35 higher rates like that, the first 50000 of net income was taxed at 15%. That was part of some of the planning I used to do for companies in the old rates because if you could have a corporation that just could leave 50000 in like that, you could do that for a few years without risking problems with having to pay dividends, and you would get 15% federal tax rate on that money when the individual person might have been paying 39%. That was a pretty good deal. The problem now is that the flat 21% starts at zero, which means the 15% rate is gone. Some of my corporate clients with smaller net incomes under 50000 got a 40% tax increase. Their rate went from 15 to 21. That's the downside of the new corporate 21% rate. But I like the idea of the corporate 21% rate overall, mainly because I believe it'll help American corporations be more competitive as far as worldwide. We had one of the higher corporate tax rates in the world before this new law. This brings us a little bit back down to a more level playing field. The thing I wanted to mention about dividends is interesting. Since the corporate rates came down, the individual side got a new deduction section which is probably the biggest single thing going on with the new tax law for individuals. It's called Section 199A. It 
to keep it simple, it gives a 20% deduction for self-employed and business income as sort of like a bonus deduction on page two of the tax return. So around the place where you list your itemized deductions, there's a new deduction called Section 199A. There's lots of limitations, lots of restrictions. You have to qualify for it. But generally, if you're in business and your business has net income, you probably will get this special 20% deduction called 199A, subject to its various limitations, which are too numerous to go into here, and I don't have them all memorized yet anyway. It's too new. What's interesting is if you're an investor and you're earning dividends from a company that's in business, there's a new box on your dividend form that you get from your broker that you have to list on your tax return. It's called Section 199A Dividends. It gives you as a dividend holder of those companies the 20% deduction that you're entitled to. Pretty interesting the way they've had to do list a whole new line, but they did. That is, that's helping some clients also. So clients who have good dividend income, they're getting a real good bonus deduction of 20% of their dividends are coming sort of off the top. Just being a tax person who's been doing tax returns for the last close to 40 years, I just love seeing lower taxes. And this new tax law has given some lower taxes. Without getting political or taking sides, I don't think there's sides to take when it comes to lowering taxes. There's lots of benefits to a lot of different types of taxpayers with the new tax law. Yes, there are a few who didn't get a tax cut, but it's just anytime the law changes, there's going to be some winners and some losers. But I would say so far I've had about 90% winners in the checkoff I've been doing for the clients I've seen so far as far as the 2018 tax law actually lowering their tax bills. Another misconception about the new tax law, people are saying my refund's smaller, and that leads them to assume their tax went up. But what happened in reality is when they came out with these new tax rates, the withholding tables were adjusted in February of 2018 to give people more take-home pay which always seems to be a, that always seems to be what they want to do with these tax cuts and new things. They want to get it into the economy and get it flowing early. So they lowered the withholding in February of 2018. And I noticed back then that I felt they had lowered it too far. And it turns out they had. So the situation is now someone who normally gets, say, a thousand a year in refunds rolling along with a steady salary. Their refund this year might have gone down to $500, so at first glance, they think that their tax went up. But what actually happened is normally the tax went down, but the withholding went down. So the tax savings of the new rates actually came to them already in their net pay. It's a little confusing. I don't want to get the math complicated. The bottom line is that most people have gotten a tax cut for 2018 due to the new tax law. Uh, some haven't, but a lot of them have. The other group that's really faring well with the new tax law are people with children under 17. The new child tax credit has gone to $2,000 per child under age 17. And the best part of it is that the income threshold where that credit phases out has gone way up to around $400,000, where it used to be around one hundred and thirty. There were a lot of families over the last 10 or 15 years that couldn't get the $1,000 child tax credit because their family income might have been 140 or 150. Now the credit is 2,000 per child and the threshold is way up in, in I think it's in the 400,000 area. That has been a real, real help to lower the taxes of some of the families with smaller kids. So that's been another bonus. One item that didn't change much in the new tax law is called the earned income credit. If you have earned income, which is wages or business income of a certain level, and the credit goes up to about 25,000 of income for a family, then it goes down to zero at about 50 something thousand. 
that credit is a good one because it's refundable. If you have something like a single mom with two children and she works and makes 20000 a year, she'll probably end up with zero tax because she's a head of household with a couple of children. On top of that, she'll get what's called a refundable tax credit of the earned income credit. And that can be three or $4,000 for someone with two children. It's, it's a pretty interesting credit. That doesn't seem to have changed much between 2017 and the new law in 2018. So they kept that, they kept that one going, which is good. That one's good because I get a lot of business because of that. People know that they're going to be able to pay a professional to help make sure the tax is done right, knowing that they're going to get a good refund when it is done right. And I have some clients that probably could do it themselves, but the fact that they know they're going to get that refund, they can afford to come to me and have my have my help to make sure it gets done just right, even though some of these are fairly simple. Moving along, before we reach the bottom of the hour, I just can't stay away from my favorite story of the last 10 years, maybe. I've been reading about it for at least three or four years. I've been sharing it with you for a couple of years. It's my favorite story. It's called The Missing Trillions, and you really need to wrap your head around this. I'm just going to start with this article called Missing Trillions. It's from wanttoknow.info. And I'm just going to read part of this because I think it's fascinating. I, I love it. Every time I read it, it just blows my mind. I'm a numbers guy, and these numbers boggle even my mind. So this thing starts out with a quote from Forbes magazine article uh, of December 8th, 2017. For fiscal year 2015, now that's pretty recent, the Army failed to provide adequate support for $6.5 trillion in journal voucher adjustments. Given that the entire Army budget... Well, you're going to have to wait for the punchline of this one for the end of the break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back with more Army Info. Jesus said, let no one deceive you. If in the last days somebody comes to you and says, the Messiah is over there. If they say the Messiah lives out in the wilderness, no, he is not the Messiah. Now, how do we know that those people are not the Messiah, and how will we know it when he comes? David Hawking details what the Bible teaches about the Messiah's soon return this week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. It seems like every day I'm asked about vitamin D in the sun. The main question being, how much sunlight do I need to expose myself to get an adequate level of vitamin D? So my answer is simply, use your head. Five or ten minutes in the sun is more than sufficient to create enough vitamin D to maintain good health. Maybe staying out in the sun all afternoon to get your vitamin D isn't the smartest thing in the world. It might not be a bad idea to talk to your primary care provider about getting a test to see how much vitamin D you have circulating in your body. That could tell them whether or not you might need supplementation orally, which is the American Academy of Dermatology's recommended way to supplement vitamin D. So while the professionals work out exactly how much vitamin D we need in our system, use common sense, protect if you need to, and consult your primary care physician if you think you might be deficient in vitamin D. I'm Dr. Paul Sabin, and that's the skin you're in. If you have skin care questions, make an appointment today with Dr. Paul Sabin of North Valley Dermatology. Call Dr. Paul Sabin today at 342-3686. Again, that's 342-3686. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. (laughs) So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I appreciate the fact that you've got some spending part of your busy afternoon with me. This is always pick the kids up from school time, get the stop at the grocery store time. So I appreciate the fact that you're able to spend a little time listening to Business Buzz. I sure enjoy coming here and sharing with you whatever knowledge I can I can impart. I guarantee most people you talk to aren't talking about the things I talk about. So I'm going to start that quote again. I got so uh, rudely cut off during that uh, on that last break. Not that it's anyone's fault but mine. Okay, this is from Missing Trillions. For fiscal year 2015, the Army failed to provide adequate support for $6.5 trillion in journal voucher adjustments. Given that the entire Army budget in fiscal year 2015 was $120 billion, remember that's billion with a B, unsupported adjustments were 54 times the level of spending authorized by Congress. Okay, so that's, the, that's just the header on this thing. So I'm going to read part of this article. Forbes magazine on December 8th became the first major media to blow the lid off of $21 trillion that have gone missing from the U.S. Treasury. The entire article is copied below. To give an idea of how much money that is, if you divide the entire U.S. population of around $325 million into $21 trillion, the amount missing is equivalent to $65,000 for every man, woman, and child in the United States. Well, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people whose life would be entirely changed if someone could hand them $65,000. And here we have every man, woman, and child in the country, their share of the missing money is $65,000. Like I'm trying to point out, it wouldn't bother me if they stole it and gave it back to the people who paid it in in the first place, but obviously that's not what's happened here. CBS News in 2002 was the first to report on the much smaller amount of $2.3 trillion missing from the Pentagon as acknowledged by then-Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld in a report on the Department of Defense website. Rumsfeld's report was later strangely removed from the website but is still available on the Internet Archive. No other media picked up on this mind-blowing news. What should have been a top headline-grabbing story of highest concern to all Americans was simply dropped. Since then, a few major media have published isolated articles on missing trillions as, as uh, summarized on, and then there's a link to some webpage. Yet again, these stories were not given the top headlines they deserved. They thus attracted little notice and were dropped. So the public remained uninformed of this concerning news. I'll say right now that that is the problem. Nobody even knows about this. Well, you do now, thanks to Business Buzz. Catherine Austin Fitz, a courageous former assistant secretary of HUD housing and urban urban development under George H.W. Bush, couldn't believe this vitally important story was being ignored by the media. An incredibly sharp economist who who once served as managing director of the Wall Street investment bank Dillon Reed & Company, Fitz researched further and has been releasing reports over the years on the many trillions missing on her highly informative and inspiring website, Solari.com, S-O-L-A-R-I.com. The media has conspicuously avoided her detailed work on this. Michigan State Professor of Economics Mark Skidmore discovered the excellent work of Fitz several years ago. He couldn't believe Fitz's claim that $6.5 trillion were missing from the U.S. government. Thinking she had mistakenly written trillions instead of billions, he and his graduate students sifted through thousands of U.S. government reports and were astounded to find not only that Fitz was right, but that the amount was even greater than Fitz had thought. Skidmore eventually worked together with economics professor Lawrence Kotlikoff of Boston University, a regular Forbes magazine contributor, to compose the below article blowing the lid off this huge cover-up of $21 trillion gone missing from government coffers. Note that once certain government officials saw Skidmore exposing this, They removed many of the incriminating documents from their websites, but he wisely had downloaded all of the documents and has reposted the incriminating documents on the website of Fitz. And then it gives a link to that. 
You can help to inform the public of this huge cover-up by spreading this news to all of your friends and colleagues. It's time for us to join in demanding full transparency on how our tax dollars are used and to expose the major corruption taking place. And then they have a what you can do section on this thing. So uh, I'm going to just go on with the Forbes magazine article of December 8th by Lawrence Kotlikoff, the economist who worked with that Skidmore man that we just talked about. And this article says, I am co-authoring this column with Mark Skidmore, a professor of economics at Michigan State University. And then he quotes Article 1, Section 9, Clause 7 of the U.S. Constitution, which these days may may label you an enemy of the state, but I'm going to read this anyway because I'm just, I'm just regurgitating somebody else's writing. Quote, no money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law and a regular statement and account of the receipts and expenditures of all public money shall be published from time to time. And the article goes on to say, on July 26, 2016, the Office of the Inspector General issued a report, Army General Fund Adjustments Not Adequately Documented or Supported. The report indicates that for fiscal year 2015, the Army failed to provide adequate support for $6.5 trillion in journal voucher adjustments. According to the GAO's Comptroller General, journal vouchers are summary-level accounting adjustments made when balances between systems cannot be reconciled. Often these journal vouchers are unsupported, meaning they lack supporting documentation to justify the adjustment or are not tied to specific accounting transactions. For an auditor, journal vouchers are a red flag for transactions not being captured, reported, or summarized correctly. Note, after Mark Skidmore began inquiring about OIG-reported unsubstantiated adjustments, the OIG's webpage, which documented, albeit in a highly incomplete manner, these unsupported, quote, accounting adjustments, was mysteriously taken down. Fortunately, Mark copied the July 2016 report and all other relevant OIG reports in advance, and he has them posted somewhere on the Internet. I don't have that the link right here on this article that I printed. Mark has repeatedly tried to contact Lauren Venable, Assistant Inspector General at the Office of the Inspector General. He has emailed, phoned, and used LinkedIn to ask Ms. Venable about OIG's disclosure of unsubstantiated adjustments, but she has not responded. Well, I'll just interject here. What a surprise. Okay, I'm going to continue reading. Given that the entire Army budget in fiscal year 2015 was $120 billion, Unsupported adjustments were 54 times the level of spending authorized by Congress. The July 2016 report indicates that unsupported adjustments are the result of the Defense Department's, quote, failure to correct system deficiencies. The result, according to the report, is that data used to prepare the year-end financial statements were unreliable and lacked an adequate audit trail. We'll all interject here. Hmm, too bad the IRS can't audit the Army then, huh? I'll continue. The report indicates that just 170 transactions accounted for $2.1 trillion in year-end unsupported adjustments. No information is given about these 170 transactions. Now, I'm going to interject here because there's something you need to remember from what I've talked about before on Business Buzz. A trillion is an amazingly huge number. If you stacked $1,000 bills tightly in stacks, as tight as you could stack them, thousand, and we don't even have $1,000 bills anymore, $1,000 bills would stretch from Chico to El Paso, Texas. If it were like $20 trillion. So a trillion is a huge, huge amount. One trillion would run from Chico to Redding, stacked end-to-end, Tightly, not end-to-end, stacked like a stack of money, tightly. You know what it's like to drive from Chico to Redding? You just go on and on for about 75 minutes. $1 trillion of $1,000 bills would stretch from Chico to Redding alongside the road, tightly stacked. That's how big a trillion is. 
There is no explanation concerning why they were removed nor their magnitude. Oh, I missed something here. No information is given about these 170 transactions. In addition, many thousands of transactions with unsubstantiated adjustments were, according to the report, removed by the Army. There is no explanation concerning why were they removed nor their magnitude. The July 2016 report states, in addition, Defense Finance and Accounting Service Indianapolis personnel did not document or support why the Defense Department reporting system removed at least 16,513 of 1.3 million feeder file records during the third quarter. Hmm. I wonder what would happen to you or me if we removed 16,000 records from our from our income tax return. Hmm. I'm coming up on break number three, heading toward the final segment, but I just think this article is very fascinating. An appendix to the July 2016 report shows $2 trillion in changes to the Army General Fund balance sheet due to unsupported adjustments. On the asset side, there is $794 billion increase in the Army's fund balance with the U.S. Treasury. There is also an increase of $929 billion in the Army's accounts payable. This information raises additional major questions. First, what is the source of the additional $794 billion in the Army's fund balance? This adjustment represents more than six times appropriated spending. Second, do these transfers represent a flow of funds to the Army beyond those authorized by Congress? We'll get back to this after the break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. The Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation seeks to craft model bills that will work in all 50 states. Now, they're trying to implement Bible literacy classes in schools. These state policies strive to eliminate constitutional problems by keeping the classes, quote, religion neutral and optional. Lawmakers emphasize that the Bible is an important part of education because of its relevance to our history, our literature, and our political framework. Pacific Justice Institute encourages prayer for this effort. Visit pji.org and download our free ebook. Reclaim Your School. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. America, bless God. Fellow Americans, your hearing this admonition establishes that you are one who cares for the America that has been so blessed by Almighty God. We implore you to embrace the laws of nature and of nature's God, to read and know the Constitution. Join with other moral and religious people and organizations to foster the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. America, bless God. Welcome back to Business Buzz. So glad you can spend a little time with me this busy Chico afternoon in the middle of tax season with all kinds of new tax laws and all kinds of uh, fire victims and crazy stuff going on. Traffic, house prices, crowded stores. It's wild. Okay, I'm just going to continue a little more from this article before I get into something much more important. So I'm going to read a little bit more of this. The July 2016 report is not the only such report of unsubstantiating adjustment, unsubstantiated adjustments. Mark Skidmore and Catherine Austin Fitz 
conducted a search of government websites and found similar reports dating back to 1998. While the documents are incomplete, original government sources indicate $21 trillion in unsupported adjustments have been reported for the Department of Defense and the Department of Housing and Urban Development for the years 1998 through 2015. While government budgets can be complex, our government, like any business, can track receipts and payments and share this information in ways that can be understood by the public. The ongoing occurrence and gargantuan nature of unsupported, i.e. undocumented, U.S. federal government expenditures, as well as sources of funding for these expenditures, should be a great concern to all taxpayers. Taken together, these reports point to a failure to comply with basic constitutional and legislative requirements for spending and disclosure. We urge the House and Senate Budget Committee to initiate immediate investigations of unaccounted federal expenditures as well as the source of their payment. So anyway, if you want to read more about that, I uh, the best thing to do is type in uh, FITS, F-I-T-T-S, type in Solari, S-O-L-A-R-I, and type in Missing Trillions, and you'll find all these articles. I found this in, in about one minute today before heading down to the station because I wanted to share with you probably the most important financial story of the last, what, thousand years? And nobody knows. Nobody's heard it. I didn't hear that on CNN last night. I didn't hear that before they talked about the Kardashians. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I was too busy working to hear about it. Okay, on a lighter note, the hour is winding down. I have tons of work still to do today. I'm in the middle of tax season, and it's not going away until I get it done. Let's think about my office. Some offices probably have partners and multiple professionals. I do have an employee who does a lot of work for me. But I'm the only one who actually signs off on all the tax returns that come through my office. If you do come to see me, I will be the one actually doing your tax return. It won't be passed off to a beginner or anything like that. I'll be the one actually signing off on it. And my number is 895-3353 if you need some tax help. I... Unless it's a real bad fit, I try to help everyone that asks for my help. It's just a matter of me getting them all done by April 15th or letting you know that you might need an extension. People who call late in March or early in April, I'm still happy to help them, but I have to help them by doing an extension and actually finishing the taxes after April 15th because there's just a physical impossibility of how many I can actually do and do correctly Uh, before the deadline. And that's the same with any tax office. I'm not special in that respect. So I'm going to pick up where I left off a few weeks ago when I was reading part of a book, one of my favorite books called A New Earth, and it's by Eckhart Tolle. You've probably heard of him. He's the author of The Power of Now. He's been on Oprah and all that stuff. And I listen to a lot of his YouTube videos. He's all over YouTube. And he's just always got a lot of good insight and he's got good humor. He's not uptight at all. He's just a real interesting guy to listen to because he sort of has a calming effect. He doesn't let you he doesn't let you get uptight. Or if you do, he tries to help you uh, reverse that. So I'm going to read from this book on page 208. And the subtitle of this is called The Dreamer and the Dream. Non-resistance is the key to the greatest power in the universe. Through it, consciousness or spirit is freed from its imprisonment in form. Inner non-resistance to form, whatever is or happens, is a denial of the absolute reality of form. Resistance makes the world and the things of the world appear more real, more solid, and more lasting than they are, including your own form identity, the ego. It endows the world and the ego with a heaviness and an absolute importance that makes you take yourself and the world very seriously. The play of form is then misperceived as a struggle for survival. 
And when that is your perception, it becomes your reality. The many things that happen, the many forms that life takes on, are of an ephemeral nature. They are all fleeting. Things, bodies, and egos, events, situations, thoughts, emotions, desires, ambitions, fears, drama. They come, pretend to be all-important, and before you know it, they are gone, dissolved into the no-thingness out of which they came. Were they ever real? Were they ever more than a dream, the dream of form? When we wake up in the morning, the night's dream dissolves and we say, oh, it was only a dream, it wasn't real. But something in the dream must have been real, otherwise it could not be. When death approaches, we may look back on our life and wonder if it was just another dream. Even now you may look back on last year's vacation or yesterday's drama and see that it is very similar to last night's dream. There is the dream and there is the dreamer of the dream. The dream is a short-lived play of forms. It is the world, relatively real but not absolutely real. Then there is the dreamer, the absolute reality in which the forms come and go. The dreamer is not the person. The person is part of the dream. The dreamer is the substratum in which the dream appears, that which makes the dream possible. It is the absolute behind the relative, the timeless behind time, the unconscious in and behind form. The dreamer is consciousness itself, who you are. To awaken within the dream is our purpose now. When we are awake within the dream, the ego-created earth drama comes to an end and a more benign and wondrous dream arises. This is the new earth. In each person's life there comes a time when he or she pursues growth and expansion on the level of form. This is when you arrive, I'm sorry, this is when you strive to overcome limitation, such as physical weakness or financial scarcity, when you acquire new skills and knowledge, or through creative action bring something new into this world that is life-enhancing for yourself as well as others. This may be a piece of music or a work of art, a book, a service you provide, a function you perform, a business or organization that you set up or make a vital contribution to. When you are present, when your attention is fully in the now, that presence will flow into and transform what you do. There will be quality and power in it. You are present when what you are doing is not primarily a means to an end, like money, prestige, or winning, but fulfilling in itself, when there is joy and aliveness in what you do. And of course, you cannot be present unless you become friendly with the present moment. That is the basis for effective action, uncontaminated by negativity. Form means limitation. We are here not only to experience limitation, but also to grow in consciousness by going beyond limitation. Some limitations can be overcome on an external level. There may be other limitations in your life that you have to learn to live with. They can only be overcome internally. Everyone will encounter them sooner or later. Those limitations either keep you trapped in egoic reaction, which means intense unhappiness, or you rise above them internally by uncompromising surrender to what is. That is what they are here to teach. The surrendered state of consciousness opens up the vertical dimension in your life, the dimension of depth. Something will then come forth from that dimension into this world, something of infinite value that otherwise would have remained unmanifested. Some people who surrender to severe limitation become healers or spiritual teachers. Others work selflessly to lessen human suffering or bring some creative gift into this world. In the late 70s, I would have lunch every day with one or two friends in the cafeteria of the Graduate Center at Cambridge University where I was studying. A man in a wheelchair would sometimes sit at a nearby table, usually accompanied by three or four people. One day when he was sitting at a table directly opposite me, I could not help but look at him more closely, and I was shocked by what I saw. He seemed almost totally paralyzed. His body was emaciated, his head permanently slumped forward. One of the people accompanying him was carefully putting food in his mouth, a great deal of which would fall out again and be caught on a small plate. Another man was holding under his chin. Occasionally, the wheelchair-bound man would produce unintelligible croaking sounds, and someone would 
hold an ear close to his mouth, and then amazingly would interpret what he was trying to say. Later, I asked my friend whether he knew who he was. Of course, he said he is a professor of mathematics, and the people with him are his graduate students. He has motor neuron disease that progressively paralyzes every part of the body. He has been given five years at the most. It must be the most dreadful fate that can befall a human being. A few weeks later, as I was leaving the building, he was coming in, and when I held the door open for his electric wheelchair to come through, our eyes met. With surprise, I saw that his eyes were clear. There was no trace in them of unhappiness. I knew immediately he had relinquished resistance. He was living in surrender. A number of years later, when buying a newspaper at a kiosk, I was amazed to see him on the front page of a popular international news magazine. Not only was he still alive, but he had by then become the world's most famous theoretical physicist, Stephen Hawking. There was a beautiful line in the article that confirmed what I had sensed when I had looked into his eyes many years earlier. Commenting upon his life, he said, now with the help of the voice synthesizer, who could have wished for more? So that passage is just uh, one that I really like because the whole idea of this surrender thing doesn't mean, it doesn't mean giving up. And I've been listening to this actual book on a audiobook for years over and over. The idea of surrender doesn't mean giving up. It doesn't mean giving in. It just means accepting what is. And once you get the general concept that I've tried to talk about before when I've read some things from Course in Miracles, once you get the general concept that your mind has two sides, one is here in the world and the other is behind that observing you in the world, once you separate those two parts of your mind, that's where this thing about surrender comes in. And all it means is you're not giving in, you're not giving up, what surrender means is you accept what is, as it is. Now, as far as working to change it, that's, you know, that's just something you need to decide how much you want to, how much effort do you want to put into which change do you need? I've talked about before the fact that the world is basically set up to be, to make problems so that you have one problem, you solve it, and you have a new problem pop up. That's pretty much why the world is here, and it's to keep your mind from getting to that other side of your mind. Once you can learn how to practice, and it's a lot of practice, I'm, I'm nowhere near being complete in all of this. I still practice it all the time because one minute later after practicing this, you're back in the real world with another problem that just walked through the door, and that's normal. The main thing is that surrender just means you accept what is, and you stay present, and it ends up being where you just, things, they, they just weigh a lot less on you, and it, it really helps me a lot, because my job's full of stress, everybody's life's full of stress, this is the kind of thing that can really help you, and it'll help you in your business, too. Thank you for being with me on Business Buzz, I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, in the middle of a busy tax season, I'll talk with you next time, tune into Business Buzz. Bye-bye. KKXX Paradise K280GL 
Chico. And K283AR. Hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. The House has approved a wide-ranging anti-hate resolution triggered by anti-Semitic comments from Minnesota Congresswoman Elon Omar. There's no mention of Omar by name after progressives and members of the Congressional Black Caucus complained that it was unfair to single her out. Instead, it is a wide-ranging resolution that condemns anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim bigotry, discrimination, oppression, and racism. It calls them contrary to the values and aspirations of the United States. Capitol Hill correspondent Wally Hines. The Senate has confirmed Ohio State Solicitor Eric Murphy to a seat on the 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. The nominations confirmed. Murphy becomes the third conservative judge this week to win confirmation. All enjoyed strong support from Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. They will be charged with upholding the Constitution and the rule of law. But Democrat Jared 